Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Godzilla Minus One, the 33rd Godzilla film out of Japan from Toho Studios. Uh, I learned that when I was looking up trivia for the movie, but it's actually really cool. There's a lot to say about it. The internet's been going nuts. We watched it. We're going to let you know what's going on. Uh, we're also going to talk about Todd Haynes' May, December, which is an indie film. It's been getting a lot of awards attention. stars Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, and a young Charles Melton, who you might have seen on the CW show Riverdale. He's getting a lot of Oscar buzz uh, for his supporting awards performance in it. Big drama. Really excited to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about some trailers coming out soon. A couple of key features you're going to want to be at the movies for. These are not just movies like, oh, yeah, we saw this trailer we were talking about. No, 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 no. This is the stuff you're buying a ticket for next year okay this is these are big features and before we get to all of it we talk about the news uh, our first story this week andy uh pixar's got some movies coming back to theaters uh we've been talking about disney a lot on the show of course uh, this year they're struggling a bit in their releases lots of big budgets not so big returns so i think for the holiday uh they're excited to put some uh, disney plus features out in the movie theaters what, what was this about Yes, so three movies which were really straight to streaming, um, which are Soul, Turning Red, and Luca, will be coming to theaters in the spring. Um, I think this is partially because uh, Disney and all the studios are short on content because of the strikes that went on almost half a year uh, this year. And so they're kind of pivoting. What can we put in the theaters and something that they didn't give a chance and almost it's kind of blamed for audiences staying home on for Pixar and animation. Um, so they're, they're going to be putting these out in uh, J- Soul in January, Turning Red in February and Luca in March. Uh, so they're spreading these out, seeing how this will work. It's kind of odd because, like I said, the, these originally went straight to, to streaming. Uh, but that's what's happening in the spring. I am a little excited about this. We've covered all these movies on the show, uh, and I, we had a lot to say about them. Turning Red was on my top 10 uh, the year came out. I also put Soul in my top 10. Luca, I think, was an honorable mention. I like Pixar movies, and I like these movies, right? I, I go for these. But going to see them in theaters, I think maybe, like, one I would spend the money to go see. Because that, like, I, not only have I seen them before, they're available on Disney Plus right now, right? Which is a service which I pay for. So justifying going to the theater and paying the price of admission to see them on the big screen is exciting for like a niche viewer like me. I don't know if general audiences are really going to turn out and specifically because these are so adult, I I think you're going to get, you know, you're not, you're not getting little, little kids going to see these movies. These are, these are aimed more like the the fathom event studio Ghibli kind of crowd. The people going to see perfect blue right on on a Thursday night would maybe go (laughs) see these, I think. Right. Like, but we, we might land in that sometime, not all the time. Uh, I think if I was going to go see one, I'd go see Soul. Andy, do, are, are you inter- are you going to go see any of these again? I mean, do you care? No, not really. If I was, it would be Soul and Turning Red, for sure. I, I really enjoyed those. Luca, I was a little lukewarm on, uh, no pun intended. Um, wow. But I, I've also looked at, <laughs> I've looked at the release calendar in January, February, and it is real week there is like nothing coming out there, there'll be a bunch of oscar films to catch up on uh for sure but uh it, it's another option for families at least you know it's friday night you want to get out of the house with the kids go do something that's not in in your own home go yeah. see go see soul go go see tur- uh, turning red like i can see that being a fun fun time um it does seem kind of strange though like i said they they shutter they shuttered these straight to streaming 
Uh, Pixar employees were not happy about that, and it did seem to kind of downgrade the brand, and it trained audiences to stay home. And then Disney was mad, was you know they were upset when no one came out to see Lightyear in theaters. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Same with Strange World. I mean, Strange World wasn't exactly Pixar, but like still big CGI Disney animated people did not come out. Like I, Disney has pointed that this is a reason for brand dilution that people are just waiting to see things on Disney Plus. And for what it's worth, you're right. Like we covered it big. Pixar employees were reportedly really upset when Turning Red was announced as a late third film that's going straight to Disney Plus. Uh, it's good that these are all getting in theaters. Like I'm glad they're all getting their due. I think Turning Red came out in some places, but like it didn't get obviously the wide theatrical release as intended. And yeah, like I think I think they're special stories for the people that are into them. I, I got one friend in particular who loves Luca. Oh my god, favorite Pixar film. And I watch it. And I'm like, I don't see the magic that way, but that's what makes them so special, the unique. Um, you know, I, I'm glad the, I'm glad the art is getting its due. I, I don't know how much it's going to, you know, what it'll, I don't think it'll move the needle culturally. I don't, I don't expect to see memes about, uh, turning red and soul over the weekends they're out, but those are coming out. Keep an eye out though for those in theaters. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, if you're looking for A24 features, you won't actually have to go to the movie theater to see those because A24 has an exclusive deal with HBO and Warner Brothers to put all their movies on HBO. This got announced today. It's insane. Andy, what do you know about this? So A24 originally had a deal with uh, Paramount and Showtime uh, since 2019 to exclusively or or semi-exclusively license them to... Uh, to that streaming service, uh, Paramount. And that is wrapping up this year. And so a new deal was made with Warner Brothers. And so the A24 catalog will be available on Max. We don't have an exact date yet, but uh, probably fairly soon in, in 2024. That's super exciting. There's, you know, there's a lot of things that I already have, but it would be nice to be able to just go through the back catalog, see, revisit things I haven't seen. And there's also... A lot of upcoming new things, uh, things like Priscilla and the Iron Claws, the Zone of Interest, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, will be available. So I think that that'll be really cool to be able to see those on, on a streaming service. And I think that's going to boost what's available on Max because I was starting to see a lot of the Max content elsewhere. And I was starting to think, why am I paying for this? Yeah, Max has just become so diluted, like since they incorporated the Discovery content from the Discovery merger. Like, I think they still have a lot of good content, but it just gets buried. And they've started selling off parts of it. Yeah, leasing properties to other companies. You're starting to see DC stuff showing up over at Netflix. Like, because they just have too much content in the in their house. And they can't figure out how to display it to everybody. Like, they've got so many boxes on the homepage or thumbnails for content that I'm never going to watch. And there was a time you logged into HBO and it's just like, oh, man. Yeah, like, everything here looks juicy. You know, great documentaries, exciting pieces, good films, short films, indies, whatever. Um A24 makes sense at HBO. I think those are two brands that are quality. Like I think those represent like good artistic voices, like with good production. And when I initially subscribed to Paramount, I can't tell you how alluring it was to see when I subscribed to Paramount Plus that if I only added Showtime for seven more dollars a month, you get the entire A24 library. I mean, it's insane. Like, not just stuff like, oh, everything ever all at once. Like, X and Pearl. You can go double feature them right now, you know? Like, you can go visit older stuff you haven't seen in a while. Like, Lamb showed up there very shortly after it came out in theaters. Like, that stuff's great. It's really cool to just see that right there. Ari Aster's work is going to be in there. Um, like, really great voices uh, get lifted up in that library. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a big get for HBO. And it's a good spot. I went to Paramount 
today when this story dropped to unsub, which was hilarious because they pop up with an option as soon as you try to unsub. It's like, please, we'll give you two months for free. Uh, so if you're Paramount Plus subscriber, you're looking to get out, good news. You get 60 days if you move now. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's good for everybody, right? Like, I don't, I don't see a downside to this. Yeah, it. I'm excited for it. Like I said, it's a service that I already subscribe to. I don't have to add another one. It's adding, it's adding value uh, to that that service, and it's a studio that I, that we love here on the show. And I'm super excited about that for sure. Uh, one more story this week uh, from the box office. Uh, Beyonce's Renaissance is moving numbers, and thank God because I, 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 moving, seeing what Taylor Swift's been doing, I figured maybe. The wells run a little dry. It's a different audience. I don't really know anything about uh, Beyonce's current listener numbers. Like, I know she does great, but I'm glad to see that her concert film is delivering goods. Thank God. Also news from Napoleon uh, and Disney's Wish, of course. Andy, what's the update at the box office? So concert films are all the rage. Of course, after the massive success of the Eras tour, uh, Beyonce decided to launch her own... um, concert film renaissance uh no one expected this to do numbers anywhere close to uh the hundred million that that taylor swift made opening weekend it stood very strong for a concert film at uh 21 million won the weekend um the hunger games prequel was a close second and then (laughs) oh i love this headline uh napoleon and wish fall off a cliff they had like 70 80 percent declines in those two two movies uh disney hurting (laughs) real bad a uh, lot like you had sent me a uh, wish doing holdovers numbers <laughs> in yeah. its uh, se- second week. Uh, yeah, those movies are not going to have any kind of legs. And some, as people were wondering about, because Wish had was well reviewed by both audiences and critics, and they're like, you know, maybe it'll get, it'll, get, you know, still have traction through the holiday season. Not at all. It's 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 dead on arrival. I've been really surprised to see. Um in our Napoleon review on our YouTube channel, um, a lot of comments from people who are like, this movie's bad. No, a Ridley Scott bomb. And like, I don't feel like I've gotten that general impression, not only from the movie, but from like audiences in general don't seem to feel that way. Um, but I guess like for what it's worth, even though Napoleon is not doing great in its later weeks, it's a historical epic. I wouldn't expect it to. And it's still doing way better than I think Last Duel did. So for what it's worth, like it's a Ridley Scott W, no, no matter how you spin it. Um, yeah, it's not doing great now, but Apple Plus didn't invest in, in Scott and Scorsese to make Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon to make big numbers. They didn't give them big budgets just to you know turn, turn out a profit. It's an investment over time in creators. Same thing Universal is doing, signing deals with Nolan to make Oppenheimer, right? Um, Wish, however, is like the big bad story of the week. I mean, Disney is really hurting with an animated princess feature, right? Like Disney's bread and butter. These things always make money. And uh, Wish is not doing it. Um, you know, it's it's Bob Iger pivoting and saying quality over quantity. We talked about it just last week. Sure, dude. Like, when are we going to see that? You know, like you guys yeah. have a pipeline of features that are all sequels and remakes and prequels and big CGI junk. And it's like, I don't know, man. I think I think I think cultural conversations move in a different direction. That's part of it. It's interesting because Bob Iger said, you know, there weren't enough executives overseeing these pro- projects. You know, that's that's what was missing. That's yeah. why where the mediocrity came from. And I was like, I think you got bigger problems than that. It was also bra- bl- blaming wokeness, um, saying, saying, yeah, our films don't need to have messages. And I was like, these films really aren't that progressive to begin with. So again, blaming everything but the quality control over it. 
at Disney. Leave it to Ki- leave it to King Disney to say more suits. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah. Need- more cufflinks on set. More, yes. More that's, accountants. Yeah. That's right. I, can I get my shoes shined on the back back here? Like crazy. Anyway, uh, from the a lot of exciting things going on at the movies, uh, and and not every week's the most exciting. But I, I want to say that one thing that's been particularly interesting, at least on the social side of things is the buzz around this next feature we're talking about. Um, I've seen Godzilla movies, right, Andy? You've seen Godzilla movies, but this one is different, maybe. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Uh, Andy's going to take the summary on this one, so uh, excuse, you know, please, please let me get out of the way. Uh, Andy, please um, take it away. Godzilla minus one. So just a little bit of history on in the, the Godzilla franchise. Uh, Godzilla is owned by Toho Studios over in Japan. They made the original Godzilla film in 1954. There's been many iterations from that. Warner Brothers owns kind of the U.S. rights uh, to Godzilla and the MonsterVerse. Then that, that's where you see like Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, those films. So these are two kind of separate versions of, of a similar character. Um, but that original film, Godzilla is meant to represent Japan's post-war trauma and fear of nuclear annihilation, having experienced uh, nuclear uh, destruction, um, of course, at the end of World War II. So Godzilla Minus One kind of gets back to that original style of the film. Uh, It stars Ryunosuke Kamiki as Koichi, who is a kamikaze pilot who is a failed kamikaze pilot. He does not complete his mission. He, he blames his airplane on uh, you no know, faulty mechanical, something or other. No one believes it. No one's buying it. And he's, he returns to his home disgraced, which has been decimated from the nuclear bomb. And everyone's just kind of living in shanties and trying to rebuild a- after the nuclear exp- explosion. He meets a young woman named Noriko, who has a child with her. It's not her child. It's she's she says it's a child I found in the street and we're just trying to like, you know, can we stay with you? They end up kind of creating this found family, rebuilding their lives. And a couple of years go by in this, this uh, setting um, when the threat from, (laughs) from Godzilla emerges, um, Koichi gets a very dangerous job clearing sea mines with a group of ex military or veterans, and uh, they eventually kind of go on a mission to initially delay uh, Godzilla so that a warship can come in and take it take it out. Uh, this is kind of a futile effort. And so the rest of the movie spend is these people spending time of how do we fight this imminent destructive uh, attack. This movie is very different from any of the kind of monster smash and crash movies we we've reviewed and seen uh, before. Uh, he, the internet was blowing up about it. Be, one of the best movies of the year, throwing off everyone's top ten. This kind of thing. It was. Uh, it's an incredible movie for a lot of reasons. We're gonna get into. But first, Zach, what do you think? Uh, Andy's right. Uh, Godzilla minus one is a very different monster feature. Like not only from uh, the mo- other monster features uh, that have come out recently, and especially its American counterparts, right? Like Godzilla v Kong. Um, but additionally, like it's a very different. Uh, Godzilla feature as far as I know it's the only period Godzilla film right like that's set not in essentially contemporary day or whenever it's made um it is the first Toho Godzilla film since 2016 that was Shin Godzilla I think 
Um, mm-hmm. And that one had a lot of success, especially with like an old throwback looking Godzilla, like a guy in a suit. Um, but they haven't made one since uh, because Toho said, well, we've done a lot of them. We want we want to make sure it's like a really good something and it's different. And it's like a story that feels like people will come out to and connect with. And so uh, writer, director, and as, as far as I understand it, also VFX director, uh, Takashi, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Takahashi Yamazaki, uh, he uh, wrote a script and said, I'll handle it and it'll be super cheap. $15 million, which is an insane budget. A lot of people have been comparing to blockbusters here in America. Loose comparison, but funny. Um, you know, and it'll be a, a big feature and and it totally works. It totally works. I think what's best about Godzilla uh, minus one is that it's a pers- people feature, right? You genuinely care about the people on the ground. You genuinely are thinking, boy, I hope Godzilla doesn't squish this person because I really like them. And it's easy to look at like something goofier or more contemporary and say oh well, that happens in Godzilla features but not quite like this like you 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 genuinely get invested in your people first um Chris Stuckman over on YouTube had, had a great point about it he said it reminded him of uh what is it 2014 Godzilla here in the states that one with Brian Cranston in it and Aaron Taylor Johnson we're like for the first act of that movie you totally care about Brian Cranston and his family and then it goes a different way and you kind of stop caring but there's a chunk of that film where like that's 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 the thing that's the story and Godzilla minus one like totally threads that needle that is exactly what it's doing it's super effective makes for a great watch lots of fun a good a, a good holiday feature even though it's nothing really holiday about it andy where do you want to start talking about it let's start with our script and and plot um this is really it's not a monster feature as much as it is a post-war drama um again japan post-world war ii huge fear national ptsd after two cities were demolished in nuclear explosions. The movie is looking into that. It's looking into themes of found family, of war, of the value of life, or the reevaluation of life. Because, again, things like kamikaze pilots, and now we're they're kind of looking like, well, maybe life is more precious uh, than that. Um, and some amazing writing. There's a great line where someone says, be proud to never have seen war. We leave you the future. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Where did, where did this come from? Like, um, it also has a very like it's taken very seriously. It's it's not like there aren't really any like funny moments. It it really is about uh, post war PTSD. What do you do when the war is over, but it's not over for you? What do you do when you still have nightmares of everything you saw and and did or didn't do and feel like you you should have? And it's just not what I expected at all from a creature feature. Additionally, like the creature is unique too. I had not seen uh, Shin Godzilla from 2016. I, I don't know what that Godzilla looks like exactly. Uh, and honestly, walking into this movie, um, I had seen the first trailer a while back, but didn't even watch the final one. I just figured I'd go in fresh. I didn't even know it was a period film like when it started. I, I genuinely did not know what I was getting into. I just knew it was a Godzilla movie people liked. So um, I can say confidently, Godzilla is so cool in this movie because Godzilla is totally independent of uh, the plot functionally. Uh, He's important in that he is like an event that our characters have to work around, but Godzilla does not have an antagonist. Uh, Godzilla does not necessarily play the villain. Godzilla isn't even a he, it's an it the whole movie. Like we just call him he because, you know, Godzilla. But Godzilla is like this old 
godlike creature of the deep. And and that's something that our director said. He said, Godzilla from Japan, the difference between Japanese Godzilla and American Godzilla is Godzilla is half monster, half god. And when Godzilla shows up, nothing beats Godzilla, dude. Godzilla beats everything. And it's amazing. <laughs> like from like the incredible roar, which is actually like a really kooky low, low, lo-fi effect that they did. The trivia is on IMDb if it's true. Uh, to like the atomic breath that just looks like the greatest thing ever. And of course, immediately evokes feelings of nuclear holocaust. Like fantastic. And like he comes up out of the water and like the, the Gregorian chants start and like the orchestra kicks in. It is the most holy event in the world, dude. And Godzilla cares for nobody. Godzilla does not really care about anybody on the ground. He's just doing his thing. He, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a creature of, of, of the earth, I guess. And it, it makes for a really fun watch. Like normally you're rooting for Godzilla. Obviously you're rooting for your people here, but dude, Godzilla's Godzilla's a king. It's one. It's one of the. It might be the only time that I've seen a like a Godzilla movie where he was actually terrifying. Where yeah. you were, you're like, oh, this thing cannot be stopped. This thing will destroy everything, and does in in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, and there's some great action sequences I want to talk about. Not just because it's they're they're good action sequences, but because it makes him so much more uh, terrifying. Uh, there's a great almost Jaws like uh, end of the first act where where our our crew of of veterans are they're clearing landmines but also have to kind of be bait for for Godzilla so they can um kind of stall for time while while the real warship goes up and they're like I said it it, it reminded me so much of Jaws and the imagery and like it just looked good because they're out on on a real like kind of rickety looking boat they're driving as fast as they can they they got. Um, you know, they got a machine gun on, on the back to kind of annoy, <laughs> annoy it. But uh, an, a couple of incredible sequences uh, of just pure destruction. Um, but again, all 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 that goes to serve the story of how like unstoppable Godzilla is. Yeah, and this tremendous sense of like uh, community and and pride and and patriotism, even in. Uh, a group of of people who have to come together to try to figure out how to how to deal with this thing because yeah you're not stopping Godzilla that's not going to happen so you either have to get out of its way or figure out a way to divert it or something right like you have to you have to be cleverer than the monster you have to outthink it and the movie in its third act has a pretty fun like sequence that it engages in and and how they kind of come together and handle that but there's this yeah real tremendous sense of of togetherness and a community rising up post war. Um, that doesn't have the resources or the weapons uh, to deal with something like Godzilla, not only because they've just lost the war, but because Japan was demilitarized by the United States, like during the time this movie is set. So they wouldn't have even had like guys they could call like it, it manages to like thread a really clever needle and tell a Godzilla story in a time when you would not think Godzilla would need to be a story, um, which is funny because Godzilla's origins come from the bomb, right? Like Bikini Atoll. That, that's where that comes from. Uh, and it's clever that Godzilla Minus One manages to be something like prior to what came before previous Godzilla features to make that work. And it's, actually, I think that's where the title comes from. Uh, the director said uh, he wanted it to be like a step backwards from prior Godzilla films. Not only has Japan been leveled out to like base level from from the war, the new kind of thing, we've gone down one. We're we're below one so godzilla minus but, one i think that's the gag yeah that's it's a really clever title because it it 
yeah, everyone asks, what does that mean? That that as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's kind of a strange title. What is strange like? Title. I don't understand. Yeah. And then it, it got me, you know, googling <laughs> exactly. Um, and like I said, the the human stories work very very well. Like, uh, there's the, like I said, this idea of found family with, um, Koichi and Noriko and the, uh, the the baby that that they've also d- discovered the the found family of the the veterans uh working t- together on on the boats doing this very dangerous uh post war work and then coming together as community because like you said that's one of the plot points is that there there is no the Americans and Soviets don't want to help because they don't want to antagonize the other so they're keeping hands off and so it's just the Japanese left up to itself so it's very much about uh you know building through your community. Yeah. Uh, One more quick thing from me, uh, just because I don't want to give away too much of the film. Um, The sound design is really tremendous in this feature and the budget. uh, I do. I do want to talk about it a minute. Like I said at the top, like it is hilarious to say how did they made this movie for $15 million and Marvel's wasted 250 million. What the what the hell happened? Hilarious. I love the meme. It's super funny realistically uh i'm gonna say this movie does do some really good jobs really it does really good jobs it does a really good job of using its budget effectively um so yeah there there are really clever scenes there's there's really good scale with the beast like to make it make it seem like okay what you're seeing is feasible and the cgi doesn't always look good but then again like neither's marvels right i don't believe they're really floating in space i'm not seeing any visuals that tell me they're like make me believe they're floating in space like of course um, so when I see Godzilla come out of the water, like, yes, me an adult, I know that's fake. Even if the CGI is not perfect, I'm not convinced. The the other thing that we need to consider is like, dude, film, film workers in Japan are likely heavily exploited and people take on multiple jobs, like our writer, director, VFX director, whereas in America, typically you have things like unions, your actors are going to stand to make a little bit more money. So like I'm... 15 million is a funny punchline, um, but, and I think the movie uses it really effectively. It really does. But like, ultimately it's unrealistic to compare it to American productions, right? Like, come on, we can, we can be adults about that. I think. Yeah. It, like I said, the, yeah, the budget was really low. Like you said, sometimes the CGI doesn't look great, but that's where the the very human story and the act the acting's top notch. It it reminded me of like if you've ever watched like a dramatic anime show or I was say it reminded me of anime for sure. Yes, it felt like a period anime. Yeah, it's definitely that level of like pretty pretty extreme uh, acting. Um, I I as soon as I saw the buzz about this movie, I got tickets to see this in IMAX, which was definitely worth it. Uh, So loud, like. Oh, a little like over overbearing, but definitely worth it. Um, I wanted to mention the fantastic score by uh, Naoki Sato. Um, again, it helps. It has a very mature, dramatic score. Helps, you know, helps facilitate the drama and the seriousness uh, of the film. Again, it's not. Um, people joke about the marvelization of cinema, where people are like, "Oh, I guess that that's good." Godzilla behind me, isn't it? that like we don't have any of that and like i said the everything is serious the drama the acting uh the score uh fantastic and and again this is not a creature feature and i was a little bothered that i was sitting next to a guy who was literally pumping his fist and getting really excited when like godzilla was about to do atomic breath and i was like this are we watching the same movie like this is about like tragic post-war ptsd this isn't about this isn't like a monster movie where you're glad godzilla's gonna beat people up that's um, that's very, that's very yeah that's that's very, very strange. True. But I want you to know there there at, at the end of the first act there is a uh, Godzilla 
attacks a, a large location, let's say. Uh, and at the end of that sequence, he hits him with the atomic breath and he does the roar. And I tell you, Andy, if it had cut to title card halfway through that roar, I would have melted out of my chair. Like I would, I would have, I would have turned into a spirit and I would have been, I would have been a ghost for the rest of my days. Like I, I, I like there, he's dude. Godzilla is so cool. And I totally get it. You're right. Like 90% of this movie, Godzilla's not even on screen, but when he's there, dude, he's the king of the monsters. Andy, would you recommend Godzilla minus one? Absolutely. Like a uh, surprise. One of the best films of the year. Like this should be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets nominated for like best international feature at the Oscars. Um, really dramatic, exciting. Like, like I said, there's action. It does. It is a bit of a creature feature, but it's much bigger on, on the, like I said, the, the post-war drama, big, big surprise. See it in the biggest screen that you can. Yeah. Uh, same. This movie's really tremendous. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. Andy and I have not talked about the trailer. Really. It's, it's not really been on our radar. Um, but the buzz has been undeniable and there's a reason for it. It's a good movie. You should totally go check out Godzilla minus one. I know it's weird. You might be like, well, wait, it's a Toho one. I haven't seen any of those and it's subtitles the whole time. Don't stress about that stuff. Just get your popcorn and go enjoy some Godzilla because it's a good time. I promise. Especially if you're an anime fan, if you're an anime fan, you're, you don't, you should not sleep on Godzilla minus one. It's like I said, surprisingly anime oriented, but, uh, speaking of big, bold, independent cinema, we got a couple of exciting trailers to talk about, and I'm really excited because these are both going to be bangers. These are big ones for next year. Uh, Andy, what do we call this segment? It's time for the trailer park. Take it away, Zach. I got the first one. That's right. I knew that because I have the outline up <laughs> and was ready to start talking about it, and now I'm going to start. Yes, uh, our first trailer for this week's trailer park is Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this on the show the internet has been waiting patiently for more news from george miller's new mad max film furiosa and now we finally have it with a trailer the film stars anya taylor joy as our lead uh, furiosa in a prequel film from mad max fury road uh, she'll be taking the role of who was Charlize theron's character uh, furiosa in uh, her journey from the green place uh, her origins to however she loses an arm and becomes Charlize theron very exciting the film also features uh, chris hemsworth our very own Thor in what looks to be a very similar role to Morton Joe, but I'm pretty sure Morton Joe's in here, so it's definitely not him. I don't even really know what he's doing, but it's 45 Dementis. years after the collapse. It is big, it is bold, it features wild CGI and insane shots from the desert and crazy vehicles and God knows what, and I can't wait for it. Andy, what do you think? Absolutely lost my mind. I like. I think the day before, because uh, this came out at, at uh, it was like Comic Con Brazil, where a, a bunch of footage for shows and movies actually came out this weekend. Um, and like the day before, there there was like a blurry still of the poster, and it said that the Mad Max, the Furiosa trailer was coming the next day, and sure, sure it did. Uh, absolutely lost my mind. It looks great. Uh, George Miller is just such a master at behind the, the camera. And there's already some shots that just look in, incredible. Anya Taylor-Joy looks amazing as young Furiosa. She's got the look. She's got the, the black paint. She's got guns. She, the, you know, there's part of the, the trailer. She, she doesn't have her arms. So that's, you know, we're going to learn how, how that happens. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is playing, playing a, a bad guy named Dementis. Um, he, 
he has um, a, a kind of a strange Australian accent. He's he's going like extra kind of thick Australian, and he also has this kind of prosthetic. He does he doesn't look like Hemsworth. He's got a big prosthetic nose. Um, we see young Morton Joe, of course, the villain from Mad Max Furiosa, and this just looks great. It looks like action all the all the time, and I mean the internet was lo- losing its mind. Everyone was watching it. It's true. A quick note on this before we move on to our next trailer. I just want to say, because I saw this on the Reddit threads a lot, and I've, I had the same feeling. If you watch this trailer and you thought, it looks a little CGI heavy. Because, dude, Reddit was roasting this when it came out. Everybody was like, wow, there's a whole lot of CGI. Number one, relax, breathe, watch it in 4K. It looks way better in 4K. I promise. It sounds crazy. Get a 4K screen, watch it. It looks better. Two, Dude, George Miller's like 80, and they wrote a whole book on how much production on Mad Max Fury Road sucked, okay? If they're going to shoot some stuff on green screen, I'm okay with it. I saw 3,000 Years of Longing. That's where the real George Miller fans are, all right? So I'm good (laughs) with it. Like, I'm stoked for this. I don't care. It only looks better every time I see it. I'm excited. Any other thoughts on the CGI, Andy? I'm sorry. I know we got one more thing. I just wanted to... I couldn't believe the hate. My God. It looked a little rough, the, my first viewing, and I definitely, when I watched it in, in higher quality, it definitely looked a lot better. It's it's just, it's unfinished CGI. It's not a final product, so I'm I'm not worried um, at all. And again, the original, or the original Fury Road also had a good mix of practical and, and CGI effects. I'm sure it'll be fine when it comes yeah. out, which is anticipated to be May 24th, uh, Memorial Day weekend, 2024. So we'll be very hyped for that in the new year. My God, we're getting Dune in March. Hopefully, new Bong Joon Ho at the end of March. We're getting Furiosa in May, dude. Twenty twenty four is going to be. Oh my God, it's going to be wild. What else? What, sorry, one more. What do we? What else we got? Uh, the Zone of Interest uh, came out with their second trailer, actually, just uh, yesterday or or today. Um, this is a movie we've talked about that I've been hearing a lot about for several months now. Um, this trailer doesn't really show too much more. It shows this uh, German family uh, raised, you know, raising a garden, living their life, having fun in in the pool. Um, but in the they share a wall with what is Auschwitz, they next to a concentration camp, and it's just looming in the background. We don't get any scenes from in there. We don't know what's what's happening. We know because we know history, but we don't see it on on screen. We hear very muffled screams and yells, just so faint while they're just trying to live their their kind of normal lives. They have a very kind of nice looking house and pool, and it's uh, it's very disconcerting, and it's all about tone. Like the trailer doesn't show a lot. I've heard this movie is kind of crushing, um, and they're they're hiding everything. They're they're not given very much away in the trailers. Uh, I... I don't I, I don't want to do frame by frame analysis. Okay, that's that's not what we should do on this show. But when we show the YouTube, uh, when we do the show for YouTube, uh, we put the trailer up and we do we just still frames because we can't play it because we would get copyrighted. Um, and this still frame I've got up here now, where you can see the front of kind of the house, just right next to this long wall of what is a concentration camp, and you can see the entrance like right next to the gate. It's it's like it it's almost com- like it's almost comic, right? Like if you think of a like an idea like oh, a house that shares a wall with a concentration camp. But like it's so so not played for any kind of melodrama. Like it is 110% razor's edge serious. This is the kind of trailer you would show somebody who's like, yeah, I, I like bull- I like weird movies. I like art house stuff. Like you like you're going to go see this movie, right? Like Zone of Interest looks heavy, heavy. Uh, and I can't wait. It, it's such a good looking trailer. 
I like it's 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 an it's an icky topic and it's gonna make me feel like I need a shower after and by God that's what cinema's all about I love it uh, what do you think Andy Are you excited for this oh for sure like um, I I've heard that it's gonna be uh, again big contender for international feature possibly one of the best picture uh, nominees uh, we'll see it doesn't come out until February second it's one of those uh, things that's gonna come out very very late in the year um, it's gonna take forever to see so. We were talking about top 10 list. It's probably not going to make ours because we're not going to be able to see it uh, till February. Um, but it's definitely going to be a big movie, an important thing that people are going to be talking about once it come, does come out. Yeah, this will be one of those movies I mislabel on like the, the, the slate when we make the podcast. And I'll have to go back and be like, wait, it didn't come out in 2024. It was 2023 joint, but I missed it. No, I guess it'll be 2024. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, we'll get around to seeing it at some point. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it when we do. But I'm also excited to talk about this next feature. Uh, this is something different. Speaking of bold cinema, this is something wholly unique. Uh, Andy and I heard about this indie a little while ago. Uh, it is available on Netflix, who is distributing it, which is an odd distributor because it's it's it it's an odd sort of movie. But I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, so I'm going to take the summary. The movie is May December. So May December is a uh, colloquial term for a relationship. Uh, it's, it's how you would define an older person, uh, dating a much younger person. It's seasonal, right? The early part of year, May and the late part of the year, December. I've never heard this phrase, so I didn't know what it meant when I watched Todd Haynes's May, December, but I did know that the film features some heavy themes. Uh, it's produced from, uh, Natalie Portman's production company, uh, who, uh, she approached Todd Haynes to do this script. Uh, with her, uh, he recruited Julianne Moore, and they, they, they're they on their way. They've got a movie. Uh, the movie is about a young actress, uh, well, not, not that young, actually, an actress, I should say, a uh, professional, who is uh, kind of following a family, a bit of an investigative journalist, kind of, over the film, uh, to learn more about her upcoming role as uh, Gracie, a <laughs> uh, former felon and mother uh, and, and wife, uh, who met her now husband, uh, when he was a teenager and they developed a relationship and she ended up having an affair with her then husband uh, with this teenager. And then when she was arrested uh, and, and uh, taken to prison um, for having sexual relations with a, a teenager, uh, she ended up uh, falling pregnant and having his baby. And now they have a family and it's 20 years later. Uh, there's been a TV movie about this and now they're doing kind of a larger production and Natalie Portman has arrived to, Follow them and shadow Gracie and learn more about their lives. Uh, uh, it is a really, really unique feature about performances. Uh, really tremendous. Uh, people have, have cited like Natalie Portman's work in Jackie as as like kind of inspiration for her work here, like as as playing somebody that's kind of playing something else. Um, Julianne Moore's tremendous, and Charles Melton, uh, who plays our young lad. I forget his name. Joe is that his name? Joe, it's just Joe. Joe, yes, Joe. Uh, He plays this uh, kind of heartbroken, stunted, thirty-six-year-old man who is uh, had had part of him lost in the past, and is maybe only just now starting to to see that. Um, I'm excited to talk about it, Andy. What do you think of May December? Um, so I've been hearing a lot about this movie again. Big Oscar contender. Lots lots of buzz. Her had really good performances. Um, and a lot of times you hear that in the movies, sometimes they don't really deliver, but this is not one of those. I thought this was really fantastic, very kind of, uh, 
challenging movie to watch for sure because it's not about the the incident again it's 20 years removed and this it's very much inspired by but not based on the mary Kay letourneau story from uh, the late 90s which was a, a exactly the same topic topic it was uh, a teacher in her late 20s early 30s who had had a relationship with one of her her students and she that woman went to prison she had his baby they they got married after she got out of prison and were together for a long long time so it's very much that story but it's looking at at a lot of different things um so it's 20 years later they live in savannah georgia they, they're part of this community like they have they have three kids together um they're having a birthday party whenever natalie portman's character shows up you know they have neighbors over so a lot of people have kind of let bygones be bygones or just let the past be in the past but at the same time like like uh when she first gets there they find there's a box of poop on their porch because people still do that because a lot of people have not um so it's looking at what does this situation do what you know, 20 years down, down the road, once you're, you're past like all the tabloids and the illegalities of it all. Um, what does that mean? And it's an incredible, just look at, you know, again, family, uh, predator predators. There's a number of predators in this, in this movie, not just a Julianne Moore's, uh, character relationships, uh, past, present, like there's so much going on. And what's brilliant about it is that, um, it's made in the style of kind of a cheesy lifetime movie. Like it has this weird haze over it. It has very overly dramatic piano music. And it seemed to the point, it seems a little silly. Like I got a little bothered by the piano music until I realized that it's a bit, uh, but it, it's looking at these issues very seriously, not the way that like a lifetime movie would do that. Um, and it, it's a strange thing where Natalie Portman's character is trying to, you know, she's trying to uh, understand the character of the woman and what she was thinking, what frame of mind she was in, and, like, trying to copy her mannerisms. And then there's the very uncomfortable conversations of, like, because she, she goes around town asking people, like, well, what happened when when it the story broke, when they were arrested, when they were caught, when they when she went to prison? We, like, what you who were here, what what was that like? And a lot of people would rather just not talk about it. Um, but it's, it's, it's an incredible like, uh, premise to ha have and, it, and it's handled really delicately. Yeah. I think the performances are really, really incredible here all around. I mean, uh, each of our characters is functionally performative in their nature. So you're watching an actor or an actress playing, a character who is kind of playing at a character, but it's not as practical as an actor playing an actor. No, it's it's more complicated than that, right? Julianne Moore's Gracie is, on the one hand, playing a, a woman who is just trying to settle down, right? Like from the tabloids and the insanity of her previous life and and her divorce, and just trying to like find love and joy in this relationship that she's in with her husband and her kids. And of course it's unconventional, but it's theirs and that's what makes it special, right? And she's terrified of Natalie Portman poking and prodding and 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 her how you know how people feel about her and and of course, like the safety of her family. But then at the same time, you have to remember like, she's a predator and and functionally like a child predator like and there's bigger words for it but i don't want to get demonetized and 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 like that she's a convicted criminal and she was a person in who was responsible when a child couldn't be in making decisions that are not okay 
Uh, meanwhile, like Natalie Portman, like is the actress who's kind of following her. And on the one hand, Portman says, "Well, I want to get the story right. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do it right, and I want to give it justice, and I want to give it air, and I want, I want people to to come in and understand that there are people at the center of this story." But at the same time, Portman is trotting into these people's lives at the interest of her own career, and she starts to pick up similarities to Julianne Moore, right? She starts to pick up a bit of a lisp and her, she starts to kind of wear her hair a certain way. And before you know it, like she even starts to ape a relationship and she starts to develop kind of a, a, a conversation that's ongoing with Joe and the two of them have a bit of private. And, and she also like is here for her own best interest. And at no point is saying, you know what, you, you guys are just trying to be good people. I should, I, I should maybe step back or, or do the right thing. But then there's Joe played by Charles Melton, uh, who is, getting a ton of buzz uh, for the Oscars this year. I think people are saying he's a lock for a best supporting nom, at least, uh, who is playing Joe, uh, who is a, a 36-year-old father and husband. But fundamentally, like, he is stunted in time, like, from the time he was taken advantage of and abused. Like, and and he is just kind of this insecure, very small man whose shoulders are always hunched over and he speaks really softly and he does whatever Gracie says. And he's like so obviously eliciting like elements of childhood. And it's like so strained and it's really, really brilliant drama work. The three of them are incredible. They carry the whole film. Um if there's any wrong reason to watch this movie, I think it's the watching these three. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things that this movie is really about um, is about it's it's really about its victim, which a lot of these like again lifetime movies. Sorry, they're going to be catching strays. This whole review uh, are not about. A lot of times, it is about the the tabloid uh, taboo nature of what happened, and th- uh, none of that is ever portrayed on screen. It's always referred to in dialogue. Um, uncomfortably by a lot a lot of people but this is uh again like you said it's very much about joe and he's so awkward around people you can tell he he's not socialized very well he doesn't know really how to act and respond around natalie portman's character a lot of of times he's uh it seems like he may not know what's going on at all all times but at the same time he's not like um done like he he has a job in the medical industry i think he's like a radiologist or x-ray technician or a doctor it didn't really say but like they have a big house and he's got a good a good job and you know he he's not like an incompetent but he is very uh stunted and i think that one of the interesting things about the movie is that it's about the decisions we make and the the consequences of those because even though you know they kind of got the fairy tale life that they had both wanted there's still a ton of fallout uh gracie had three uh three kids and a family before this this affair who are all still in town they still have to deal with the the fallout they have three kids currently two two twins which are about to graduate um high school and one daughter in college those kids still have to deal with the decisions of, of their parents and, and there's nothing they can do like they can't get away from it even if they wanted to because of their situation so it's about kind of the selfishness of, of those decisions yeah and i think that selfishness ends up surprising us as audience members more than it like becomes apparent um because you so get pulled into the reality of these characters and their day to day and like kind of that surface level appearance. I mean, when you first see Joe and Gracie, they're like, 
at this kids their kids birthday party and they're like hanging out hugging they seem totally fine on the surface like andy said joe's got a great job gracie's a baker like they they just seem like a totally normal family and natalie portman comes off as a professional actress who's here investigating a role and, and everybody has their kind of role that they're playing um but you just start to get pulled into the film more and and before you know it you're you're judging people and, and making terrible thinking terrible things you have to stop going oh hold on a second wait a second yeah yeah let me look at the larger, larger picture of this right like there's there's some bigger things at play here and, and it makes for like a surprisingly like full experience out of what otherwise would be like a short feature i think that's part of the reason i like the soundtrack so much it is intentionally intentionally jarring and i was listening to an interview earlier where they said that uh, it was, I forget the exact term, but basically the, the music is designed to make you actively interpret what you're seeing. One of the first times it kicks in in the film outside of the title cards is for a laugh. Uh, Julianne Moore says, yeah. uh, I don't think we have enough hot dogs for the barbecue. And then the music, boom, and it's like a Twin Peaks, like big, bold orchestra. <laughs> dawn, dawn. Yeah, and then it cuts to a grill that is full of hot dogs, like setup, music, punchline. It's, it's almost like a laugh track. And then throughout the film, it's used differently and you start to feel like, okay, well, why is this kicking in now? What does this mean? It's meant to elicit investigation from you. You're supposed to look at this oddly and think, what am I seeing here? And that's supposed to remind you that like the situation is so outside of normal. And like there's there's so many larger melodramatic problems at play. It ends up being darkly funny at times, uh, darkly tragic at times. Um Man, May December is a big feature. And have you seen a lot of Todd Haynes' films? Because I haven't. I, I feel like I want to mention that. I, I'd talk more about him, but I I don't know. I have. I think I have seen uh, Far from Heaven. I I've been meaning to watch Carol. Um, I we yeah, missed I definitely, Carol for the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I've definitely seen Far from Heaven, which is gosh, this is from two thousand two. Um, Julianne Moore uh, plays a wife in the nineteen. 19- 50s. Uh, so these two have wor- worked together a lot. Carol, I've heard, is a modern classic uh, that stars Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett from uh, several years ago. Um, I definitely want to watch that. But like I said, I saw Far From Heaven back when it uh, came out. And it, he makes great f- melodramatic films about you know human relationships. Um, but I, I really in, enjoyed this in, in a lot of ways in that it, it, t- it touched on very serious topics. Um, one of the things it, it's about is about cycles of abuse. Um, th- it has the very obvious one of uh, Gracie and Joe, but then there it's manifested in other ways. Uh, Gracie kind of talks down to her daughters, uh, insinuates they're overweight. Um, she gets her, her daughter a scale uh, to go off to college. And uh, her older daughter was like, oh yeah, you got me a scale too. Yeah, it was a great gift. And she was like, well, my mother get, got, got me a, a get a scale you like you tr- and it's just like th- while that isn't near as ha- heinous as the major crime it's still an example of like this is how i was treated this is how i was you know verbally and emotionally abused and now i'm in i'm still doing that to the next generation so, so it's about like how hurt people hurt people yeah uh, I, tragically, I don't think I have much more to say about it because I don't want to give anything away. I, I feel like I've maybe said my piece. Andy, any other thoughts or recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Todd Haynes's May December? Yeah, abs- absolutely. It's it's a very it's very serious, but it's not heavy. I, I expected this to kind of have just heavier scenes and heavier things, and it's it's about very serious topics, but it's handled very delicately. Um, like I said, it's a drama with really interesting, com- conflicted characters. 
and uh, you know the consequences of, of selfish decision making uh, with really great performances from Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, and uh, somewhat newcomer uh, Charles Melton. So highly recommend. Same. Uh, I think this movie's tremendous. Uh, it's available on Netflix. Like I said, it's a weird spot for it to be because Netflix has a funny way of promoting indie features. Um, but I think they got a tiger by the tail. I think this will get some awards buzz. I hope so, at least, at least for performances. Um, yeah, May December is really cool. You should definitely watch it. Like Andy's right, it's not too heavy, but like you know, pick, be 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 wise of your audience members because yeah, there's definitely people in my life who would not sit for this movie. They would get very very bored or not like it all and get out. Yeah, no. So, um, but it's an exciting time at the movies. Uh, it's been an exciting episode. God, episode two thirty five, right? Lord, we're coming up That's on 250. Right. Watch out. Just it's coming around soon. the corner. I know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Mad, Mad, Mad Furious will be just in time for 250. God, I think I was going to say January, February, March. We might even be in the middle of We may have seen Dune 2 by episode 250. Maybe we can figure out a way to bump it up and do two, Dune 2, 250. Blow it out. Dune 250. I don't know. Anyway, what are we watching next week? So we were originally wanted to take a look at Poor Things, but that's only coming out in limited release uh, this week. So uh, what we're going to be looking at is The Boy and the Heron, which is uh, Hayao Miyazaki Studios Ghibli's latest feature that uh, everyone's kind of been buzzing and raving about. Uh, that comes out this week, December 8th. And also Eileen, which is uh, the safic thriller starring Thomas and McKenzie and Anne Hathaway. Um, takes place in the 1960s. We t- we talked about the trailer a couple of weeks ago. That looks really good. That's out this this week. Um, so that those are the two, and we'll hopefully be taking a look at Poor Things and Wonka next week. Uh, very bummed we can't watch Poor Things this week. I've heard nothing but good things. The reviews are incredible. But cinema fans know limited release uh, really means it's releasing in L.A. and New York, and you have to wait if you're anywhere outside of those two places. So that's fine. Uh, in the meantime, Boy and the Heron looks super good. Really excited to see it. I just watched the final trailer for that in front of Godzilla last night. And Eileen looks low-key, but, dude, I, I like Anne Hathaway and low-key features. And Thomas and McKenzie, it was... Say she was good in last night in Soho. I feel like she was good in that movie. Uh, but if you enjoyed the episode today or you want to hear what we think of those films next week, uh, the best way you can keep up with us here on Oscar Film Review is just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, all the audio spots. We're in all those places. You can also leave us a rating and review over there. That'd be a big help. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube where we're uploading individual reviews. Man, Andy. That YouTube channel's growing. Something's happening over there, all right? We got a, we got a cauldron right. bubbling. <laughs> I know. We got thumbnails. We got descriptions. Come check us out on YouTube. If you watch content on YouTube, I'm telling you, the Oscar channel does not disappoint. Big things going on over there. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All the usual uh, social media outlets. Of course, you can find our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, for more content, interviews, exciting things we're doing around town. And you can email us correspondence directly. Right, right to you boys from, from audience to creator, the way it's meant to be, just like this podcast goes to you. You can email us directly at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com for correspondence on the show. With episode 235 from Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.